brand new series called Extreme Home Makeover. Now, how many of you are fans of the TV show Extreme Home Makeover? How many of you hate that dude with the blowhorn thing? It's just, I, I swear if, if uh, they do great work, but if that man was there with that blowhorn yelling at me, I would just, I would lose my Christianity. I would hit him with that blowhorn, I swear. But uh, I, I love what happens on that show. They go to a family uh, whose circumstances do not allow them to have perhaps a good home, and they go over in the course of a weekend or so and completely, in some cases, tear the house down right to the foundations and build them something new, something that they could only dream of. And I was reading some, some stories about what happens after the fact. Have you ever wondered that? Okay, what happens now that they got the new home and they have their dreams and everything else? I read just a couple of weeks ago about a family who, since Extreme Home Makeover, has had to file for bankruptcy. Because they got this new home, and then they, they, didn't, they didn't manage their finances well. They ended up losing the home that Extreme Home Makeover built for them. Now, Extreme Home Makeover said, you know, we're sorry. We know that that's a potential. We know that that can happen. Uh, but, you know, once we're done, it, it's kind of up to the family to, to make that whole thing work. And this is the realization for me. You can tear the house down and rebuild the thing completely from the foundations on up. You can have a house, but it doesn't necessarily make a home. And what is going on inside of that house is far more important than the structure of that house. And it can be beautiful and pristine on the outside, but it can be an absolute mess on the inside. And that what ultimately needs to happen is not an extreme home makeover of, our, of the buildings that we live in, but an extreme home makeover of the people living inside the home. And that's what we want to talk about today and for the next five weeks. If God had his way in your family and in mine, if God was really the one that was on the throne calling the shots, if God was, was the head of the household, guys, we like to say that, I'm the head of this household. Well, you're the second head of the household. Jesus Christ is the head of the household. And if you're all following him, what would that look like? What, can you imagine what your family would be like if all of you loved Jesus as he's loved you and you loved and treated one another that way? As you think about your home and you think about your family, the things that are good and worth celebrating, the things that are maybe difficult that you're going to have to push through, what would it look like if God had his complete and perfect will in your family and in your life? So what we want to look at for the next five weeks and allow God the opportunity. And I know it can't happen all in just five weeks, but I'm hoping and praying that in the next five weeks that we have together, God can plant some truth from his word into our hearts that we can begin living out in our families. And folks, I, here, here's my dream. I would love by, by the miracle and the power of God's grace that something happens in Kings County that would cause the nation to go, what's going on with those people? They love one another, their families are strong, their relationships are strong, people are giving their lives to Jesus Christ, they seem to be turning back the tide. Wouldn't you love to see that in Kings County? Now, I believe with all of my heart that we are approaching the end of days, and I know things get worse before they get better, before Jesus Christ comes back, but I also believe God has been very, very faithful to always pour out his blessing before those times, and there's always this great revival. Wouldn't it be awesome if the last great revival of human history started in a small town called Lamore in Kings County and spread all across the country? And it happens. It, ha it can happen. Home by home, life by life. Extreme home makeover. As God takes over your life, 
takes over your home, then ultimately, hey, sweetheart, he, he takes over, he ta- he's taken over. He takes over your entire, he ta- takes over hopefully your entire community and our nation. Politics is on the docket, it seems like, for television. And there's going to be lots of talks about what the government should do, what the government shouldn't do, this candidate, that candidate. I just want to tell you something. It does not matter who wins the White House, whether it's John McCain or Barack Obama. They can't fix what ultimately needs to be fixed. They cannot, through the power of government, make up for what's broken in the homes in America. Only Jesus Christ can do that. They can't pass a policy, can't make a law, can't write new legislation, can't offer new programs that will make up for what we need in the home, and that's Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. It doesn't matter who wins. If the family is falling apart, they can't fix that. That's something that only Jesus Christ can do in a relationship that you have with him in your household. So we're going to take a look at that, see what that looks like. This last week, by the way, folks, it's awesome to be back with you again. It's, it's good to be back home again. Missed you some. Um, <laughs> we, we had a great time. We were with, uh, I, and i got to tell you, what made it great was not where we were, but who we were with. It was just a time for our family to be together 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we didn't fight. <laughs> We just had an awesome, awesome time together, uh, just being with family. But we did miss you, miss you as a church family, because as, as John was mentioning earlier, we are part of something that's a whole lot bigger. I, am, I have my immediate family, but I'm also part of God's family. So like it or not, we are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We are stuck together. Oh, amen? We're family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's just this beautiful relationship that happens when God brings lives together and makes them brothers and sisters with God as our Father. So we're going to be talking about two things for the next couple of weeks. One is the immediate family, what's happening in your home, but also the recognition that the principles that we learn about living in the home also apply to our broader relationships as well. So whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you have kids, don't have kids, whether you're away from home family, some of you are in the military, uh, your home is in another state and you're here by yourself, so your immediate family isn't, isn't around, will this apply to you? Absolutely, because bottom line, what we're going to be talking about is just relationships. Starts in the home, but it's much, much bigger than that. So I hope you're ready for that. We're going to have a, a hopefully just a wonderful time these next five weeks. And I want to encourage you not only to, to make it a, an effort and a point to come back each week, but bring somebody along. I believe the greatest problem facing in America today is what's happening in our homes. And that if we could get the home front right, a lot of these other problems that we try to fix would take care of themselves. So extreme home makeover, what would that look like for your life and for mine? The uh, movie clip that you saw, just, just by way of, of, uh, of, of announcement, uh, the makers of uh, Facing the Giants came out with this movie called Fireproof. Uh, Kirk Cameron uh, is the star of that. And I just want to encourage you, it is going to be in limited release theaters. But would you agree with me that there's not a whole lot in the movies that's worth paying money for these days? That movie is. And I think we as Christians can send a message because money talks. I don't like it that way, but that's the truth. Money talks. And if we can support films like Fireproof and say that's the kind of value, that's the kind of movie that we want to put money down for, we want to see more of those kinds of movies, Hollywood will listen. Hollywood follows the dollar. So if the nation wants violence and perversion and sex, they'll produce it. If the nation wants family-friendly, value-friendly movies, they'll make those too. It's based on what 
we're willing to plunk the dollar down for. So I want to encourage you, uh, when the movie comes out, look for it. It'll be in Fresno, and I think perhaps Visalia. I don't know if it will show here in Lemoore or in Hanford, but wherever it is, I want to encourage you to go and take some friends. It's going to be a blessing. Uh, hopefully, we'll get our hands on that movie and be able to show it here uh, at some point a little bit further down the road. But in theater release, go out and support it. If you've got your Bibles, would you turn to the book of Ephesians this morning? Uh, most of the verses are going to be up here on the screen, so you can take a look at those. And I want to encourage you, I know you don't have outlines or anything like that, but if you want to jot down some notes today, I'm going to give you four main principles today in terms of how we can build our homes on a solid foundation. But we're going to spend the next five weeks in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and verse 21, and then all the way through Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. That's where we're going to be for the next five weeks, just going verse by verse at what the Bible has to say about the family. And today, all I want to accomplish today is, is lay the foundation. The most important part of a home is its foundation. Several years ago when we were building this building, we had a sense of what all of this was going to look like. But before any of this could be built or any of the things brought in eventually, carpet laid, chairs brought in, the electronics and everything else, we had to first lay the foundation. And if you were here at that time, this is, this is three, four years back now. If you were here at the time, that foundation pour happened at three o'clock in the morning. 13 cement trucks came to this property and poured a continuous flow of concrete because they, didn't, they wanted to make sure the foundation was right. They couldn't pour it in pieces and they couldn't pour it during the heat of the day because we were building in the, in the midst of the summer. And so they couldn't pour that concrete in the heat of the day. They needed to do it in the cool of night and they had to do it all in one big continuous pour. 13 cement trucks drove onto the property and then dumped this concrete. They, they flattened it out. They, they smoothed it all out and everything else. It was an incredible project to watch. But we knew we have to get the foundation right because if the foundation's right, it doesn't matter how nice of a facility you build on top of it if the foundation is poor. Now that night, it was a messy, noisy endeavor. The cops were called. Our neighbors called the cops on us because it was noisy. It was happening at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Our construction uh, general manager, the construction, Jay was here. The police were here. And they said, we've received a complaint. We said, we've got to keep pouring the foundation. We've got to get the foundation right. They said, if we get another complaint, what's going to happen? He said, if we get another complaint and you don't shut down, one of you is going to jail. I said, Jay, sorry, brother. <laughs> I'm not ready to start my prison ministry just yet. So... Uh, we didn't get any more complaints. They laid the foundations. They were able to build the rest of the building. Here's the principle. You got to get the foundation right. If the foundation's wrong, it doesn't matter what kind of structure you try to build on top of it. The reason a lot of homes are struggling today, the reason they need a makeover is not just to, not just to tear it off and start on a new pad. But an extreme makeover for our homes means we've got to get right down to the foundation. And honestly, for some of us, we need to pour a new foundation. Jesus Christ said this. He said, if you build your life upon the rock, that's your faith and your trust in me, then when the storms come, your home is going to be able to stand it. But if you build your house on the things of this world, it's like building your home on sand, and you won't be able to survive the storms that come. The problem with some of us is our homes are falling apart because the foundation that we built them on is not solid. They weren't built upon the rock of faith in Jesus Christ. So all I want to accomplish today is, is start the process of talking about what an extreme makeover would look like. And today, just look at the foundation of all of that. What is the foundation of the family? What was the purpose? God created the family. What was the purpose of that? 
in the first place. Ephesians chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 6. I just want to read this through. If you have your Bibles there, starting in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5, follow along. Uh, Some of this will also be up on the screen so you can follow along as well. But the Bible says this. This is where it starts. You want a good home? By the way, how many of us want that? How many of you really don't care? Okay, good. We're all all in this together. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5. You want a good home? This is the instructions. If God were the architect and he laid it all out, he said, you want to build a good home? This is what you do. Number one, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love. You want a good home? Be imitators of Christ. Live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Then the Bible says this in verse 21. Submit to one another, and we're going to talk about this in the coming weeks. What does it mean to submit? That's a dirty word in our popular culture. But what does the Bible mean when it says submit? To submit to one another out of your reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands. Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through his word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Did you get that, guys? He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one's ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two, this is the miracle of marriage and the foundation of the family, the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, the Bible says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And parents said, amen. All right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, this is God, the architect, laying out, here's the foundation, and here's how you build your home. Need an extreme home makeover? Or those of you that say, hey, we have a good relationship, but wouldn't we all admit it could be better? All of our homes could be stronger. So listening to the architect, listening to God, we lay the proper foundation, and we build our homes on that. So the question for us today, what did God have in mind? when he created the family. Somebody put it this way. He said, friends are the people you choose. Family's the people God chooses for you. Why did God put you in the family that you're in? Why, why did God create the family in the first place? What was his intentions? What did he want to accomplish through the whole process? I'm going to share with you just four principles of what God wants to see happen. Just foundational issues. Get the foundation right, your home will be strong. Foundational issues of what God had in mind for the family. The first thing is this. The Bible teaches us that the first purpose, the reason God created the family, and Paul mentions it here in Ephesians, that this reason a man leaves his father and mother, he cleaves to his wife, the two become one flesh. There was family 
in the Garden of Eden, before there were cities, institutions, governments, society, anything else, the first institution, if you will, of the world was the family unit. And God created it. Why? What was his intention? The first thing was this. God wanted, the reason he created the family is to prepare us for life. Now think about it. God's original design, the foundation for the family, was that God was going to bring new people into this world, put them in a family, and the purpose of that family is to prepare that child for the rest of their life. Biologists and and zoologists and everything else have pointed out human beings, which are different from the animals, and we can agree on that, can't we? Human beings are not just animals. We're more than animals. We're created in the likeness and image of God. We're different than animals. We're not just hairless apes, but we're beings created in the likeness and image of God. Some of you are hairy than others. Some of you are not so hairy. But we're not apes. <laughs> we're people created in the likeness and image of our God. And we spend more time with our parents than any other animal that's out there. Why? God's design. God created the family to prepare you for the rest of your life. But the Bible says this. It says, may our sons in their youth be like plants that grow up strong. There's a theme, a, a chorus that runs throughout all of the scriptures that talks about the growth that's supposed to be happening in our lives. The Bible says, God wants your children, your sons, your daughters to, to grow up in him, to be strong, to, to be healthy. Even in this verse that we read, Ephesians chapter 6, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That part of what God had in mind is that the children brought into this family would be trained and instructed by their families so that they can go out and live their life in the world. That they don't have to just kind of make it up as they go along. They don't have to flounder through. But that God gave us parents to prepare us for the life that God has in store for us. Train them. Bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. Even our Savior, Christ Jesus. The Bible speaks of him growing from a boy to a man. The Bible says in Luke chapter 2, 52, that Jesus increased. He grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God, and favor with man. That Jesus grew intellectually, he grew spiritually, he grew socially, he grew relationally. That God wants you and me through the family to be prepared for the life that we're ultimately going to live. That's the foundation. Folks, that's why the family is so extremely important. That's why it is a foundational issue. As families, we are raising up the next, we are raising up the next generation of leaders. And what happens in our homes today, in terms of the values, in terms of the morals, in terms of the view of the world, in terms of their understanding of their place in that world, that what happens in our homes as we teach our children is going to be carried on and it will become policy and law and morality and life in the next generation. It's foundational. That's why if the family falls apart, our society falls apart. Hillary Clinton, nothing disparaging. I'm not saying anything disparaging about her. She wrote a book called It Takes a Village. I understand the principle of that. We've talked about that even here, that, that it takes more people in our lives than just ourselves. But we've got to understand this. The village can't make up for a broken home. No government, no laws, nothing else. The village cannot compensate for what's supposed to be happening in the home. That's the foundation. 
God says, I created a family to prepare you for life, to prepare that next generation. There are some basic things that God wants us to learn, and he puts us in our family. That first 18, 19, then they come back, 23, 24, 25. He wants us to learn some basic things. Think about what you learn from your family. Your family is where you learn the who, the what, and the why of life. Family is where you learn, first of all, who. It's where you learn about relationships. Family is where you learn about relationships. We learn to relate to one another, first of all, in the home. Some of us learn to relate well, how to resolve conflict, how to to put up with one another, how to love even though we have our differences. We learn about relationships in the family, functionally or dysfunctionally. The Bible also teaches that in the family, not only do you learn about relationships, the who, but you also learn the what. You you learn about character. Your character, choices that you make, that forms who you are. And a lot of that is based on what you experienced in your home. What character do you learn from your parents? It's also why we learn the why. Why do we do what we do? It's where we get our values from. What's important? What are the things that that, that can, can pass? What are the things that we really need to focus our attention on? Family is where you learn who, what, and why. That's why it's so important in terms of foundation. Moms and dads, we are teaching continually. Whether we're aware of it or not, we are teaching our children, not just by our words, but most importantly, by our actions. I can't tell you how many times as a father, I have noticed Jessica or Joel just looking at me. Sometimes it's because I have a booger or something like that. But, but sometimes they're just watching, and I, I have actually witnessed them where they know that I'm in a spot, and I have a choice to make, and I know what's going through their head. They're going, what's dad going to do? How's he going to respond to that? We are teaching always. And that was God's original design, that moms and dads who love Jesus would be instructing the next generation that comes behind them to love Jesus and to live their life accordingly. We're always teaching. Sometimes it's direct. Sometimes it's more indirect. Take a look at this video, and you'll see an example of what I mean. Always teaching. Oops. We're always teaching by our words, by our actions. What did the little girl walk away from that day? It's okay to lie sometimes. A lie is a lie sometimes. We're always teaching. The question is, what am I teaching my kids, intentionally or unintentionally? What are they learning from me? Because God's original design was that we would be preparing them for the life that they're going to live. Let me share a Bible verse with you. This is the book of Isaiah, chapter 38. The prophet Isaiah said this, that one generation makes known your faithfulness to the next. Now, folks, realize how important this is. As a father, I am not only training up my own children, Jessica and Joel, but I am a part of shaping the next generation. We together are shaping what future generations will look like, what they will believe, how they will act, what they will value. All of that starts in the home. We think that it's immediate. We think that it's just for a a span, a season of our life. But we are talking about generation after generation being impacted by the choices and the lessons that we teach inside our homes. In the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, 
you will see where there was a godly family and then somewhere that godly line is broken and the Bible would repeat that he did not follow God as his father did. He did not follow God as his, as his fathers did. He did not follow God as his fathers did. And it's generation after generation after generation of rebellion and disobedience to God that the choice of one person in that family line, the choice of, of one man, one father, ended up impacting generations that followed and in fact impacted the nation in which they lived. God intended family to be the the place where we learn and prepare for life. The Bible says this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. These commandments that I give to you today, they're to be upon your hearts. They've got to be in you first before you can pass them on to your kids. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and, and when you get up. The Living Bible puts that verse this way. It says, you must teach these commitments, these commandments to your children and talk about them when you're at home or out for a walk at bedtime or the first thing in the morning. Now you take a look at that verse and just break it apart. First it says, you must teach, not somebody else, not their school teachers, not their Sunday school teachers, not somebody else. The responsibility of teaching the children rests with mom and dads. You must teach them. Think about our culture today. Think about just in the area of education, what we expect our teachers to do in the public schools today. We expect the public schools to feed the children before they come to school because the parents don't do it. We expect the teachers to counsel the children and work them through difficult social and relational issues because the parents don't do it. We expect the school to pick them up and take them home from school because the parents don't do it. We expect the, the, the school to feed the kids lunch, feed them dinner because we're busy and don't want to pick them up after school. But the school can't make up for what parents aren't doing. That's our job. And the Bible says you must teach them. Pastor Ron in student ministries or our children's teachers can't make up for what's happening or not happening in your home week after week. You know what the number one teacher of children is today? Television. The average child will spend 18,000 hours of television before they graduate from high school. 18,000 hours. If you brought your kids to church every single Sunday... And you're really, really super faithful and you brought them to a midweek program like Awana and you taught them, they would still have only one-tenth of the influence that they're getting in front of their televisions every day. The one or two hours that happens on a church campus can't make up for what's happening or not happening in your home the rest of the week. It's not somebody else's job. The Bible says you must. It's not optional. It's not, well, we'll we'll tell them maybe if we feel like it, or I'll let somebody else take care of that. That's why we pay teachers. That's why we have Sunday school teachers. That's why we have pastors. We pay them. No, you must do it. It's not optional. You must teach them. It's not going to happen accidentally. You've got to be intentional about it. You must teach them to obey these commandments. You impress them, the Bible says, upon your children. Then it says this, you talk about them when you're at home or when you're out for a walk. It means you teach it everywhere, and then you do it at bedtime and the first thing in the morning. It means you do it all the time. You must teach them everywhere, all the time. You must do it. That's our job, to prepare the kids for life, to prepare the next generation for how they're going to live. The question is, what are you teaching? So I'm not a parent. You're still teaching the next generation. They're looking at you. They're watching you. So what lessons is the next generation learning from you? God says that's supposed to be what happens in the family. 
what's happening in your home? Does that, is that an area of an extreme makeover for you? Now, the second reason, and we're gonna, I'm going to blow through these just real quickly, and we'll, we'll talk about this more in the weeks that are to come, but the second thing that God gave the family for, the second reason was not only to prepare us for life, but to protect us through the storms of life. And right now today, uh, you're watching all of the video that's coming out of the Houston area down in Texas as Hurricane Ike uh, impacted the coast. Reminds us of three years ago when, when uh, Louisiana was flooded uh, with Hurricane Katrina. The amazing devastation of these storms as they, as they come ashore, your kids and mine, the next generation, is going to have to deal not with, with hurricanes and those kinds of things, but they're going to have to deal with the storms of life. And God created the family not only to prepare us for life, but to protect us through the storms. Your home, your family is supposed to be one of the safe places that you can go to. But let's be honest. For some, maybe even some of you here today, family's the least safe place for you. Many of you retreat to work or you retreat to a hobby or you retreat to another person because home's not a safe place for you. Home is supposed to be the, 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 the sanctuary where we, where we retreat from the storms of life. Home is the place where I know that I am loved, where I am accepted, where I am cared for. Home is the place where I know that even when I fail, I still have fans at home rooting me on. Family is supposed to be a place that protects you from the storms of life. What is the saying? A man's home is his castle. Now, guys, that's true, isn't it? Guys? All right, a man's home is his castle. What does that mean? It says a guy wants to be able to retreat to a safe place. But is your home safe? You want a sticky Bible verse? Put this one on the fridge. Guys, I I don't recommend you do this, but maybe put this one up on the fridge. The Bible says this, that it is better to live on the corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Amen? Amen. Oh, guys, come on. (laughs) Better to live on the corner, better to live out on the shingle than to live in a house with a quarrelsome wife. Why? Because a man's home is his castle when he comes home. When a man comes home, he wants his queen to love him and respect him. He wants to come home and know out of, thank you, out of all of the people in life, my boss may trash on me, but my wife still respects me. Because I'm the king of my household. Conversely, the queen wants to know that when the king is home, that she's just not one of the subjects. Right? The queen wants to know that king loves me. That king adores me. And that I am the, I'm the top of his list. And home is safe. Home is the place that you go that's safe. The world tears you down, but I can go home. Most of the board games you play, baseball or activities, you don't get any points until you get back home. Home is the goal. You get points when you round the bases, not for a second or third, but the goal is to get home. When you're playing tag, you're safe when you're home. The world wants to tag you but home's where you're safe. And God's design for the family was that home was the safe place. 
Not the place where you fight your most difficult battles. Not the place where you're put down and, and torn apart. Not the place where you're belittled, screamed at, insulted, demeaned. That wasn't God's intention for the family. God's intention was you live your life in a very difficult world, but you get to come home every night. And in your home, there's people that love you that will build you up, and they'll get you ready for the next day. And brothers and sisters, think about this. If you're a believer, we live in this world, but where are we going? Home. I don't have the fight. I fight in this world, but thank God one day I'm going home. And God said, I want to give you a taste of that. I want to give you a sense of what that's like. So I created the family so that you've always got home, knowing that one day you will get eternal home. Did you ever think of it this way, that your family is supposed to be a little taste of heaven? It's supposed to be a sense of what it's like when we're ultimately with Jesus Christ someday. Is your home more like heaven? Or is your home more like hell? What's going on in your home? Does it need more of an extreme makeover? Is it a place of love or is it a place of contention? The Bible says, I created the family to get you through the difficult times. Jesus said this, he said, a home filled with strife and division will destroy itself. So what's happening in your home? It's to prepare you for life. It is to protect you through the storms. Number three, quickly, and I can't, I don't know, I can emphasize this enough. Home is a place where you play and have fun. You don't believe that, do you? Home is a place where you play and have fun. Home's supposed to be fun, like church. Yes? Home is a place where you have fun. And folks, here, as an action point, write this down in your notes. Some of you parents, the most spiritual thing you could do right now in your life and in your home is just lighten up. Lighten up. Have fun with your kids. One of the things that we're thinking about when we were on our vacation is, I just want to have fun. Is that that's not very spiritual. Yes, it is. Since when did God and faith be the antithesis of fun? Think about it. God wants your joy to be complete. He doesn't want you to be burdened and depressed. He wants you to have fun. Enjoy, look at this verse, Ecclesiastes 9, 9. Enjoy life with your wife. Put that on the fridge. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18. Be happy with your wife and find your joy with the girl you married. And by the way, just, just as a as point of reference here, the wife and the girl you married, that's the same chick. Right? And what does he say? Be happy. Be happy. The home is supposed to be a safe place. The home is supposed to be a happy place. Look at Psalm 127. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are his reward. Children are like sharp arrows. Happy, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Children are a gift. Gifts are things to be enjoyed, not endured. But I don't know that every kid in every family sees him or herself as a gift to mom and dad to be enjoyed. My mom and my dad, they endure me. They don't enjoy me. I'm saying, have fun. Laugh with your kids. 
Our homes are supposed to be filled with laughter, not screaming. They're supposed to be filled with happiness, not hurting. Home is to be a, a place where, where you have fun. So, so let me ask you this. Is your home a place that's fun? Because I guarantee moms and dads, if, you're home, if you can't lighten up a little bit, and just enjoy life with your kids when they grow up and they're 18, 19, and 20, and they go away, and then the years pass, and you're getting old, and you go, our kids never come home to visit. Well, why would they want to come home to a, to a old fuddy-duddy? Why would they want to come home to someone who's an old sourpuss all the time? Have fun. Make it memorable. Make your home the place that your kids love to be, not the place they want to get away from. Home should be happy. Homes should be filled with joy. And finally this, and then we've got to wrap this up. The reason God created the family is to prepare you for life, to protect you through the storms, to give you a place where you can play and have fun. And that's the most spiritual thing some of you could do today, play and have fun, because you're too serious. Even now, you're too serious. <laughs> play and have fun. Number four, the purpose of the family, and get this, because we're going to talk about it for the next four weeks, is to point you to God. God created the family to point you towards God, to prepare you for life, protect you in the storm, play and have fun, but ultimately the family was created to point you towards him. Look at this verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It says, Stephanus and his family, so the father and the rest of his family, were the first to become Christians in Greece, and they are spending their lives helping and serving Christians everywhere. Now, what is that saying? This man and his family were the first family to become Christians in what is modern-day Greece. And what did they do as a result? They spent the rest of their lives serving God and telling other people about him. Now, I will guarantee you that is a family that is going to stay together for the long haul because that is a family that is living for something that is bigger than just their own selfish ambition and goals. They are living their lives for God. And if we could see our families, not as just social units, but as ministry units, where as a family, we learn to serve God together. If you, moms and dads, with your kids, would begin to serve the Lord together, that is going to create such a sense of unity, such a bond of faith together, that it's going to be difficult for the world to try to pull that thing apart. When God is first and you are living, not just individually, but collectively as a family, you're living for Jesus, that's going to be a very stable and strong home. Happiest day in my life was when I had the opportunity to baptize Jessica and Joel. Happiest day in my life. More so than the day that they were born was the day that they were born again. It would crush me as a father if my children were born first into this world only to spend an eternity separated from my God. But when Jessica and Joel finally gave their lives to Jesus Christ and then they were baptized as a testament, happiest day of my life. Because I know that when I get home, my home here will be there with me. That's awesome. What needs to happen in your home? extreme makeover, not just tear down the top, but go right down to the foundation and say, God, you've got to rebuild this thing all over again. That's what we're going to talk about for the next four weeks. And I want to encourage you to do this. 
I want to encourage you when you come each week, you lay your life on that altar. And you lay your family and your relationships on that altar of God. You say, God, whatever it is that you've got to do, you created the family. It was your idea. So whatever you've got to do in my family and in me, I want you to do it. I want my family to, to prepare the next generation for life. I want my family to be a safe place, protection from the storms. I want my family to be a place where you can play and have fun. And I want my family to point towards God himself. That's the foundation. That was God's idea. Would you stand? Let's have a word of prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, when Jesus was here and and people asked him how to pray, he said, you pray this way. You say, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, just as it is in heaven. Our Father who is in heaven, Or even when you taught us to speak to you, you taught us to speak in terms of family. You're our father, you're our daddy, and we're your children. And one of these days, we're going to be home with you. The Lord, you taught us to pray, your will be done on earth in our homes, just as it is in your home. And God, that's our prayer today. Your will be done. And Lord, if that means that the very foundation needs to be relayed, a foundation that's based upon faith and love in Christ Jesus, then Father, for the family standing before you here today that need that, I pray that you'd reveal yourself to them. Let them know that however bad it's been, they can start over. You can lay a new foundation and they can begin building today on that solid rock of their faith and trust in you. Lord God, for all of us, there's work that needs to be done. Show us. Change us. And make our homes look a little bit more like heaven and less like this world. Let our homes be reflections of the kingdom. The kingdom of our God and our Father, not the kingdoms of this world. So, Father, you do whatever you need to do. Change us, convict us, break us, but have your way completely and work through us and work through our families to bring this nation back to Jesus Christ. For we ask and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.